0: Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, managing partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate on the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are top of mind. Now let's get started.
1: Welcome to another episode of Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. I'm excited about today's episode. We're going to spend some time talking about the relationship between physicians and hospitals, Um, really around the changing financial dynamics that have occurred over the last number of years. And when you think about it, the, the relationship with hospitals and the relationship with their physician partners has definitely evolved. And it's evolved due to some of the market dynamics or some of the influences that we see within our industry. For instance, primary care physicians rarely go to the hospital anymore. There's hospitalists that take care of a lot of the patients that are admitted in the hospital. They round on the patients. They have good relationships with their primary care physicians, but the the family practice physician, even many of the internal medicine physicians that are practice-based rarely go into the hospital. Also, too, we see a lot of shifts in site of service. So, for instance... Five, 10 years ago, many services that were performed in the hospital are now performed outpatient. And that's only beginning to increase with some of the financial incentives that the payers are placing and even the government are placing on all providers to do more and more services outpatients. And then the last, as you begin to think about it, is the hospital has really evolved into caring for more complex needs of patients. And in some cases, the patient's clinical needs have become more complex where they need to be taken care of in the hospital. Those that are less complex are taken care of on an outpatient basis or even in the physician practices. So those changing dynamics has created certainly financial pressures on both the hospital and the physician's to think about their businesses differently. Joining me today are two of my colleagues, very excited, Dr. George Mazel, primary care physician, who I've had the opportunity of worked with, working with for a number of years, and then Stephen Berger, former CFO, great consultant, again, worked together for a number of years, working through a lot of the financial opportunities and considerations that hospitals are, are currently working through. George and Steve participated on a podcast that we had, oh, I don't know, six months ago. Extremely successful, great conversation. If anybody wants to go back and, and listen to that, we really spoke about the the financial alignment that has to occur between physicians and hospitals, and it was just, just a great discussion. So I'm excited to have both you gentlemen here today. George, Steve, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Good to be here. So, George, maybe we can start with you. From the physician's perspective, as I mentioned, a lot of the services that used to be performed in the hospital are now being performed either in the physician's clinic or in an ambulatory surgery center or in in some areas that are, are done outside of the hospital. How has that changed the mindset of physicians, how has that changed the relationship between the physicians and the hospital or the hospital leader?
2: Yeah, thanks, Dan. I appreciate uh, your comments. Uh, again, a lot of things have changed for physicians in relative to the hospital over the last years. I think as, if we look back a number of years ago to, to my practice days early on, um, there was a really symbiotic relationship with the hospital and the physicians. Um, you know, Certainly separate entities, The, the, you know, the services were provided for nursing and patient support, medications and so on from the hospital. And of course, the physicians provided the medical care and leadership. Um, All that's changed dramatically over the last several years and a number of factors have played into that. Uh, You mentioned the shift to outpatient services, which is certainly one of them, but there's a number of others that are absolutely critical. Consolidation of the hospitals. There's less hospitals. They're bigger, they're more complex, they're more bureaucratic. A big one uh, we're all aware of is COVID. Certainly putting a lot of stressors on the system contributed to some of that financial stress that Dan mentioned, because COVID, despite what people hear, is not profitable for a lot of hospitals. And we add to that the burnout and stressors that have come on both nursing and physicians in the hospital setting. On top of that, we have this huge push to employment for physicians. So now that dichotomy of, of of synergy with the hospital and the physicians is very different if the physicians are now employed by the hospital systems. And again, that's probably a a discussion for a whole other podcast because we could spend an hour on that and I won't. And the last item I'm going to mention is the the slow, painfully slow for some of us in it, shift to value-based care, redefining some of the incentives and things um, that would hopefully, if it's done right, and we'll talk more about this later, um, do a better job aligning hospital docs, outpatient and everything else. So lots of contributing factors, making it a very complex issue and also very different in different markets because different markets have different emphasis on all these factors I mentioned and others.
1: Yeah, I I agree. All those things I think have really, really changed what that relationship is looking like today. And I think is even what it's gonna look like tomorrow. So Steve, when, when finance leaders are thinking about the economic drivers of their institutions. And they know that the relationship is changing. They know that certain services are not being done outpatient. They know that even physicians are starting to create some of their, their own services outpatient due to some of these changing dynamics. I would think it's gotta place a lot of pressure on the finance folks. What are some of their thinkings? How are they addressing some of those things as they're thinking about how to make it economically successful, yet really maintain the relationship with their physician?
3: Well, thanks, Dan. Actually, it's pretty darn tough. And they're thinking a lot of things, all of which are very difficult to actually achieve, but it's their job to do it. And it's not just the finance folks that are looking at this. It. Obviously, executive leadership, so for CEO, COO. CFO, the finance people, but also, of course, the chief nursing officer, the chief information officer, all of these people, the chief clinical officer. And uh, you've got these issues that have to be dealt with in order to continue to achieve a bottom line. It's always for finance. It is always about the bottom line. But look, the finance guy or gal reports up to the chief executive who reports to a board. What are they looking for? What are they looking to achieve? Is it just the bottom line? And if so, how much? What bottom line is appropriate for this particular organization? George said that there are different issues depending on where you're located. Location matters. Size of hospital matters. And whether you're urban, suburban, or rural, all of these things are different but we still need that bottom line in as, as this is happening. You have all of these shifts going on. And I completely agree with George uh, regarding this slow pace of the adoption of value-based care. We can do better as a, as a nation, but we're not quite doing it. So meanwhile, as a, that's as a beginning, what, what are they looking at? Well, as always, they're looking at the areas that will allow them to achieve a better bottom line. It used to be volume. (laughs) So we've got volume, but we don't have volume anymore. Value-based care is not a a volume-based revenue source. It's the opposite. It's one of the reasons. In fact, it's probably the primary reason why we haven't achieved it yet.
1: If I can jump in for a second. For many hospitals their contracts are, are still fee-for-service driven, right? vast majority of hospitals. So finance leaders are looking at volume. And although I think if you look at how value-based care has evolved, it's actually impacted the physicians more than it's impacted the hospitals. So many of the contracts that, that are out there that are value-based are providing financial incentives around quality and managing costs to the physicians that's not quite come into play as much as we like on the hospital side so w- what i'm seeing then is is almost a misalignment of incentives well there is a complete there is a complete misalignment of incentives and that's why we're
3: really calling this the intersection between hospitals and physicians so the physicians have have gone further on their value based care of reimbursement while the hospitals haven't even come close to achieving that kind of outcome. You've got a lot of, a lot of things at play here. And so while, they're, while the finance people are looking to continue to do volumes, there's another group inside the hospital that are looking to achieve more of a value-based care outcome, meaning more alignment so that we can have more uh, per-member, per-month payments, and the way to achieve a bottom line in that case is to have less patients in the hospital. And almost focusing
1: more on quality. So, George, let me turn this over to you for a second. So when you think about some of these changing incentives, right, evolving incentives that that have occurred, doesn't this almost create a competitive nature between physicians uh, certainly around value-based care and hospitals, or does it bring them closer together?
2: Well, I think it has the potential to do both. Um, I think right now, I'd say it's leaning toward your first comment. I think it's more competitive, and here's why. Um, some of the misalignments you talked about is certainly true, but I would even add to that. Um, think about the hospital. Hospitals get paid DRG for the most part. Um, That's a whole different incentive focusing on let's get more patients in and let's keep them shorter time because we get a fixed payment per patient for most Medicare and even commercial now. So that's one incentive. Um, There's a number of others also that, you know, hospitals do have some value-based incentive stuff from CMS, but and some readmission penalties and other things, but that frankly plays at the margin. So right now there's a total misalignment in payment models um, for most physicians and most hospitals. Now, as you shift, as you said, to physicians slowly having more incentive-based payments on the outpatient side, they're looking at the most expensive part of patient care if they're in a total cost of care model or they're actually have some incentive On on that And the most expensive part of care is two things. Really, it's the hospital's number one. And then, you know, then you start to some of the specialty drugs and other things. But hospitals one, two, and three on that list. So they're looking at how do we manage our inpatient service. And that, again, creates another misalignment. The potential is there, however, to to Steve's point and your point, um, if you can align those payment models so that everybody wins for doing the right thing, and there's payment for doing the right thing, um, that works you know, that will work, but there's a lot of things that have to change. And one of them, hopefully we're going to talk a little bit about is data and transparency and information and moving away from charge masters and getting to real costs and things like that. So everybody's on the same page and there's some real transparency on what things are cost and really looking at where the value is. And of course, you know, value is outcomes over cost, So you know, you got to figure out where that is. So there's a lot of things that have to change um, for us to get to that next step, and I think we do have to get there.
1: Yeah, you're you're right. I think an interesting point is, and this has happened for years, but it is the reimbursement model. Physicians are paid for their professional services, which, again, are are very productivity utilization driven, if you will. But there is a lot of incentives now that are out there to reimburse based on quality that is it is being offered or at least identification of value but on the facility side on the hospital side they're being paid for the facility fees right they're being paid for the DRGs they're being paid to cover at least hopefully some of the the internal expenses that are occurring so how do you bring this together to create an alignment model so is is episode-based pricing one way of being able to do it is there um, is there opportunities to maybe to align the hospitals and the physicians around clinical services or clinical specialties? Steve, where are you seeing some of these this alignment occurring in a way that's providing financial opportunities or incentives for both physicians and hospital leaders?
3: So you have different organizations taking different tacts. and here is the here's the point again big versus small, urban versus rural. What's the size? So a critical access hospital is going to be taking a different tack than a giant medical center. So one size does not fit all. And that makes a difference in this conversation. So the smaller hospitals, if they're still generally self-sufficient and unaligned, if you will, um, they're going to most likely be trying to move towards more of a value-based care model for reimbursement as best that they can, as best that they can, because they're still going to be uh, having their reimbursements in the way that they, uh, Medicare hasn't changed, It's, for example, and the, uh, the giant insurance companies haven't quite changed, although it's sometimes easier to get through to them than to Medicare for these changes. So you've got the small hospitals that are in one place. You've got the major medical centers that are trying to go to clinically integrated networks. They have a much easier time of doing it. I wonder what it would look like if we did a poll and said to some of these giant medical centers out there, how many of you would in fact like to become a Kaiser model? Which where you're getting
1: reimbursed, let's say a full capitation arrangement Correct. and then Correct. just managing the costs internally. A lot of folks believe that mm-hmm. we need to get to that point in yeah. order to truly manage costs, but you know, potentially right. that could even limit that could that could even limit the relationship or minimize the relationship even more, right? Because you know, the, each of the physician, the physicians in the hospitals are going to be responsible for kind of managing their own patients, their own list of services. Well, I'm not sure what you mean by minimizing. I think
3: it it maximizes everybody's the way everybody works yeah. towards a simple a simple higher level goal of better outcomes at lower cost. Isn't that what we're talking about? Better outcomes, lower cost. The Kaiser model designed that way. And of course it's been out there almost a hundred years, maybe a hundred years. That's a model that almost no other organization has taken on. Uh, They created it, they they started that way.
1: So George, when when you think about sort of the changing dynamics that physicians are under, again, the, the economic model within their practices, within their groups is evolving. It's continued to evolve. What are physician leaders looking for? And I guess it does depend if you're independent or employed. I guess I want to take it more from the independent physician. If you're a medical group, even a specialty group, what are you looking for out of your hospital partner?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think the other thing we sort of have to acknowledge is that, that over 50% of these primary care are employed now. So yeah. um, the independents are struggling because, frankly, some of the costs of being independent, particularly EMR and other things, are almost impossible to be, you know, to to survive in a very small independent practice anymore. Now, not that they're going to ever go away totally, but it's hard. I think if you're in a small independent practice or even a a medium-sized independent practice, what you want in a hospital is a great place to give your patients great care without an undue, you know, burden on yourself or your patients financially. That's what you're looking for. You're probably not going to the hospital anymore if you're primary care. Some do still, but but more more likely not. Even specialists now have specialist hospitalists, which only right certain, yes you know certain. So it's really becoming a specialty unto itself at the hospital level. So um, what you need is great care and great communication. And, and the care, let's just assume it's good care. But one of the challenges we have is if you're going to take care of a patient, you need communications back and forth. If you're a hospitalist back to the primary care, you may be all on one EMR. Chances are you're not, especially if you're independent. Um, so the EMRs are not very talkative to each other. So getting that information back so the patient has contiguous and continuous care is really a challenge.
1: You're, you're absolutely right. And I, I do believe still that in order to provide really good quality care, hospitals and physicians need one another. They they do. Um, And I think that dynamic, as we've mentioned, is is changing based on the complexity, based on the needs of the patient, based on the, frankly, the evolving services that can be done outpatient versus inpatient. But when I think about ways or solutions for hospitals to come together to, to better manage the patients, to create even better physis- financial alignment, three solutions right now come to mind, right? Co-management agreements is one, creating these integrated physician networks, whether they're CINs or ACOs or maybe still the PHO models is a second, and then joint ventures as well, where hospitals and physicians could come together and sort of share in the services and and maybe even economically share in in some of the output. Steve, let me turn it over to you. Are are those, are those three solutions and maybe there's a few others. Are those a couple of things that you are seeing that help to align the, the incentives or at least bring physicians and hospital leaders together? Well, I'm thinking the
3: hospitalist issue uh, pulls them apart because the, the, the physicians who are doing the primary care for these patients are losing sight, are losing touch with their patients. So I don't think that's, a, a, I think hospitalists have hurt not not helped in terms of bringing together. That's my position. Uh, what, what are others thinking? Well, the organizations are thinking, let's bring in more hospitalists because it, it just helps it, inside the hospital, but it doesn't help bring uh, physicians and their patients closer. It brings them apart, I believe as far as shifts of service, the payers are looking to take patients out of the hospital into the lower cost setting, the outpatient setting. Okay, good for the payers, not so good for the hospital's bottom line. Meanwhile, the hospital has to maintain, as you said earlier in this podcast, they have to maintain this, this giant building with all the people who have to run the building. These, these costs to run the building, the overhead is enormous. So the more you take out a a primary revenue, the more you take out from the hospital, that hurts the bottom line. How do you make that up? How do you make it up? Well, as long as the uh, payers are going to continue pulling patients out, the volumes as we've talked about, as long as they keep pulling them out, then there's going to be a tipping point, a tipping point whereby the hospital has to go all in on the total cost of care, value-based model, outcomes-based, and they're getting paid on this per-member, per-month basis.
1: Right. So it's really the economic model that you're seeing that hospital leaders need to to focus on, probably reducing their cost and thinking around what the episode-based pricing is, but really getting into their their cost accounting.
2: I think those models you named are all great models, um, but they're structurally based. And I think it's great to have that structure, but I think the stuff that goes behind any of those models is really the more critical piece. Right. And to me, that's about better communication. Physicians need to understand something about finance, and I don't mean their own practice finance, but hospital finance enough to understand what you know how things work at least a, a, in a general level. And and I would say the opposite is also true. I think hospitals need to understand physicians, and I think they've um, there's not been a lot of good communications and a lot of empathetic communications on either side. I think transparency of information and data and finances. Um, everybody thinks hospitals are cash cows. Some are. These days, most of them are struggling to make enough money to um to cover back capital costs and, and recapitalize the system. They may, may be a few bucks, but not enough to, to handle the depreciation that they have. So I think we need to be, acknowledge that and be clear and concise about it, and so everybody's on the same page. I think that data should be published and discussed, both quality outcomes, cost outcomes, utilization, patient experience. And then lastly is the incentives that go inside these. The incentives need to be all aligned, all open. There's no payment model that's perfect. They all have good incentives and bad incentives built into them. And you just have to acknowledge that, even value-based care, and and really measure and, and evaluate what that payment model is doing to patient outcomes so that you're on the same page.
1: Yeah, I agree. And those are, those are good points. You know, you can have the structure and the structure is, is key, but it's all the things behind the structure that really make it work, right? Communication, right. transparency of data. You've got to build trust. You've got to be able to align some of the, the activities and the goals and the objectives. And if you can do that, then you can build a model that I think financially aligns both physicians and and hospitals. Steve, any any closing thoughts, any advice that you may give to the the finance leaders that are out there?
3: Well, we've discussed a number of things and this is meant to be physicians and finance. How do we come together in a better way? George talks about communication. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely couldn't agree more. And he also mentioned that more than 50% of, of physicians these days are employed. So as we're moving as we're moving towards some new model, who knows when, who knows when it's moving at a glacial pace as we move towards it. The hospitals, particularly I'm going to take the hospital finance side, have to continue to work through elements so that they can maximize their bottom line. Now, maximizing bottom line, once again, as clear as possible. You need either more revenue or less cost, more revenue or less cost. The only way to improve your bottom line to maximize it, whatever maximizing means. So they have to keep moving towards there. If it means how structuring those outpatients so that they make a little bit more money off the outpatients in order to continue to maintain those giant buildings, as George mentioned, the giant buildings, the overheads and the capital for replacement. It's a very tough deal. Um, As long as patients in America expect every single problem to be solved by the hospital and their doctors, we're going to continue to need money to do that.
1: Right. No, that's true. So, George, if if just in closing, for the physicians that are listening today, um, any pieces of advice you would give them as to maybe how they should work with their finance leaders or how they could offer some opportunities or some some suggestions on building a stronger relationship?
2: It's really tough to be a physician out there right now. Um, I'm very empathetic to the folks out there that are trying to practice medicine, you know, amongst COVID, amongst the employment models, amongst all these changes. So I think the answer is be open-minded, learn some skills beyond the clinical skills, learn enough finance so at least you have an understanding of of, of the basic, because again, physicians are usually pretty good understanding finances inside their own practice, um, but but they struggle inside the hospital. And some of that, and I, Steve may disagree, is because the hospital hasn't always been clear and concise about sharing financial data. And I think it's about assuming good intentions with your administrative um, counterparts in the hospital, and it's about trying to sort of understand each other's, you know, being each other's shoes a little bit more so that you can. Um, make the right decision. That the one thing that I think everybody agrees upon, hopefully, is is we all want great patient care and great patient outcomes, and we we ultimately need to make healthcare affordable um, for us, our kids, and our grandkids. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think the only way that happens is if we if we all figure out, sit around the same table, um, and figure out how to do it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, gentlemen, thank you for your time. Great discussion as always. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, this will be an ongoing topic and an ongoing discussion and in some cases an ongoing debate that I'm sure we're going to have again as we, we talk about how we can get physicians and, and finance to work closer together. In summary, I, I just like to hit on a couple of points. I think the both George and Steve brought up some some really good thoughts. I think a couple of things around the ability to work together is really predicated on transparency, good communication, some level of mutual governance. You can have the structure in place, but again, if you don't create a a situation where you're aligning incentives, I think you're going to have some real challenges. It's going to affect the relationship between hospitals and finance um, or hospitals and physicians. And frankly, hospitals and physicians need each other if you're really going to provide good quality care for the patients in your community. Thanks to everybody for listening today to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. Until next time, have yourself a great day.
0: We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on a journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on lumina.hp.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at lumina.hp.com insights. Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with some of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.